Well, here we are with Astiet number seven, Seventh Heaven. Though heaven might be stretching it a little. Similarly to how my thinking of heaven reminds me of me nans, as I'm not sure either would have made it there if, they, if it does exist. They were both completely different. My dad's smile was posh, well-to-do, well, always seemed it to me, and I think I was always a bit of a disappointment to her. Understandably, really. I mean, the first time she visited us after one of our moves, I would have been about five or six at the time, and I was brought home in a police car just as she arrived. It's not like I'd been doing anything much. A group of his kids on the street had just been playing army in this old cow barn just outside the street. One half of us were on the roof defending, the other half were trying to get up to us. We were defending by throwing the roof tiles at them, and they were lobbing bricks and bits of broken tiles back at us. All good clean fun, as I'm sure you'll agree, though I do wonder what we would, done, would have done if the game had gone on for long, as we were throwing the roof at them would have had nothing left to stand on soon enough. But the cops turned up and ruined it anyway before we got to find out if we could balance on roof beams. A few weeks later, we went over to visit her in a bungalow in Mid Wales, a village called Llanidlos. A bit Welsh there, see? Just below, and I do mean below, as it was on the side of a steep hill, a new row of bungalows were being built, and they were in the middle of levelling ground. A few of my cousins, myself and some local kids, soon found new huge concrete pipes, I think they were for the sewers, that we could stand up inside, and then the older kids would give us a push, push down the hill, and we would go rolling down until we hit the bottom, and usually the pipe smashed apart. Then we would get out, dust off our cuts and bruises, climb all the way back up the hill, and get in another one. At least until the police arrived to take us home. My nan was mortified and of course thought it was all my fault leading everyone else astray. Never mind that I was the youngest there, it was obviously my fault as I spent my entire time being taken home in police cars in their mind. I wouldn't have minded so much but I wasn't allowed any Sunday dinner because of it and my nan was a great kook. Her Sunday roasts were legendary. Unlike my other nan, though her, her Sunday roasts were legendary in a different way. Because her cooking had to be seen to be believed. The cooking was so bad that when I wasn't allowed any Sunday dinner there, because my uncle's daughter was a Jonah after they'd take me to Anfield for the first time and we hadn't won, it almost made up for us not winning. Almost. Whatever she made, from beans on toast to a Sunday roast, all looked the same. A shapeless mass of grey on the plate that tasted exactly like it looked. Even Ollie Twist wouldn't have asked for more in her house. When I got a little older, I realised why. My nan was a heavy smoker, who very rarely did anything without a fag hanging out of her gob, usually with a lengthy chain of ass hanging precariously on the end. She would constantly be talking, to, often to herself, and usually a moan about my grandad, as that was her favourite topic. Didn't matter what he did, she would be moaning about it, with a cigarette bouncing up and down, still in her mouth as she never took it out. Bits of ash would be flying off everywhere, and there was no ashtrays in the kitchen. Yet somehow the ash would vanish, and the food would turn grey as she leant over it, stirring the pot. The food I ate there must have been as toxic as the sight of David Beckham's Miami Stadium. Until the day my me granddad came back with a gra microwave, as he loved gra gadgets, suddenly the food became edible. As there was no standing over it stirring, the food was shut away while cooking and no longer was it grey. I think she must have been the only person in the world whose cooking was improved by the invention of the microwave. Sorry for my reminiscences. That wasn't even what I intended to talk about there. Maybe I should start scripting this properly to keep myself on topic. I don't know. Anyway, let's get started with question number one from Ragav of the Manchester United site who has a couple of questions. One, really like the Lampard analysis you did with respect to the players who are most likely to play well under him and who might struggle. Wondering if you could, somewhere in the future, maybe during the international break, do one for United as well. We might have a better idea of how OGS wants the team to play. 
Well, in answer to this first question, before moving on to your second, with a higher line and press added to trying to play out from the back, I fully expect Lindelof to become the key figure at the back. He's good on the ball and a decent defender who's been desperately in need of a settled partner, which he should have now. Wan-Bissaka is almost certain to do well, as he is simply that good a player who'd be a standout performer. McTominay expects to grow as a player as the season goes on. As his confidence increases, I think he will get better and better. Marshall and Rashford should also notch decent goal tallies this season and a much more fluid attacking system that allows them to use their strengths. Marshall is a very composed finisher. It's the rest of his game that needs work, but he already looks much happier with more freedom and he'll be there to finish off moves. As for struggling, well the first name I'm going to say is only going to be a comparative struggle compared to him at his best, and that is De Gea. We know he's one of the best in the world at his day, but his strengths are not based around having the ball at his feet or dealing with crosses. As United are looking to play out from the back more, the ball will be at his feet more. Added to the more attacking thrust from the full-backs, there will be more gaps in wide areas, especially behind another player I think will struggle, sure, as he is not the best defensively, and Maguire is not the best at covering a full-back. Maguire does have a tendency to go walk about at the wrong times when United need him in position to protect the space behind Shaw. Shaw is very much a confidence player and I have no doubt that a lot of stick will be headed in his direction when goals are created from his side and that will knock that confidence. It might not necessarily be his fault always, but that won't matter to those looking for a scapegoat. I struggle to see Matic and Fred playing well in this system either. Matic just seems to need a new move to revitalise him every 18 months or so, and Fred simply doesn't have the first touch to allow him to perform well in a quick passing side. He will spend half the game chasing his own attempts to control the ball. Ragav's second question is, Amongst the youngsters who are most likely to get a chance this season, who do you think will have a standout season? Well, I think Mason Greenwood is the obvious choice, though I think one of Angel Gomez or Tahith Chong could well make a breakthrough this year. Any of those three have the ability to really step up to first-team level now, though it might take them time to adjust physically to be a regular starter. A Liverpool site question now, an Octopus Garden asks, This week we've heard Liverpool have utilised a surfer to talk about stress management. If you could take one thing from a different sport to include into football for the season ahead, what would it be? One thing to improve the rules or the spirit of how the game is played. One thing to improve the technical ability of the players. One thing to improve the tactics and strategies employed to win the match. And one thing to improve the fan experience or the way fans act. Having read this question a few times, I'm still not sure whether you're asking for one of each of those things to improve, you know, from which sport would I take them and what would it be, or which of those would I choose. So I'm going to, first off, I'm going to say if I could only choose one of them, it would be to improve the rules or the spirit of the game. That would be the one I'd choose because that's the one that's most in need of improvement in my opinion. But the one thing for each of those things in turn would be, well I'd start with, for rules and spirit, I would turn to rugby and mic up the officials so that we can hear what they say and the players say back to them. Any players abusive or arguing with decisions even, I would have suspended. The more they do it, the longer the suspension. Their managers would soon ensure that, just like Brian Clough and George Burley did, Players do not argue with officials. That would massively improve the spirit of the game and make it easier for officials to make decisions as they would be under much less pressure. The technical one is more difficult, but I would look to MMA to improve players' balance, flexibility and strength, which would enable them to protect the ball better and to run with the ball and stay on their feet. 
tactics and strategy are something I would look to a small-sided, fast-paced game like basketball for. Already we see the pick and roll use on dead balls which came from there. Though that is actually a foul, refs never seem to give them. So it will be interesting to see if see if anyone uses it now with VAR, will a foul be given? The movement they use is very much of use in tight spaces, so applicable to teams being pressed. The fan experience is a difficult one though. I mean, a lot of the Premier League clubs are already moving towards things like fan zones with live bands on etc, which has come from other sports. I'm not sure which sports are the most family oriented to be honest, but they would be the ones I would look to as a family atmosphere in the crowd would improve the way the crowd act. Man United fan, the Rivian, is back with the question, do each head here have a favourite team? Apart from 004, is there any United supporters? All the heads have their favoured teams. Easiest way is to go through them one by one. Myself, Ed 1, is a Liverpool fan. Ed 2 favours Chelsea and some of the clubs, but it's far from fanatical or anything, it's more of a preference. Ed 3, for his sins, is a Blackpool fan. Ed 4 is a Man United, as you mentioned. Ed 7 is Celtic and Man United. Obviously, the You'll Never Walk Alone connection there. Ed 18 is Chelsea. Ed 25 doesn't like football at all, so obviously he's an Everton fan. Ed 33 is Liverpool, though similar to Ed 2, he's not all that bothered, really. Ed 47 is Arsenal. I'm sure I'm missing a few, as I can't remember their numbers. We do have a couple of others. One is a Wolves fan, for instance, who edits sometimes... Oh, and there's Ed Triple Three or now Triple Six, as everyone kept confusing him with Thirty Three, who is also Liverpool. The Rivian has another question now, which is: So Rooney takes coaching role. Apart from football, Rooney is generally not considered to be so bright. How do you think he would do as a coach? To be honest, I think he could have included football in that not so bright bit. That's why he ran around like a headless chicken throughout his career. But anyway, it really depends on what kind of coaching he's doing. If he is a coach working under someone else's direction, he does not need to be intelligent. Uh, He just needs to be able to inspire those working with him. Rooney isn't the brightest bulb in the box, even in a box full of blown bulbs, but he is extremely enthusiastic and passionate about football. His enthusiasm and passion could be infectious if working with the right people. Imagine you're a head coach working players hard in pre-season trying to get them fit for a long, gruelling season. They are flagging and you need someone to get them going again. I can well imagine Rooney would be brilliant for that because he is like a small puppy bouncing round excitedly. He'd be able to get that last little bit of effort out of him. The problem would come if he was in charge and expected to provide discipline or make intelligent decisions. Those are two things he lacks any capacity to do. Put him in the right position though with someone overseeing him and making decisions on what to work on for him and he might well surprise a lot of people. An Everton question from Boyd Blue is... What players do you think will leave Premier League clubs after the window closes? And what players from the promoted teams will turn heads, in your opinion, throughout the upcoming season? Leaving is difficult, as Prem clubs do not want to sell after the window shuts, but those that have interest in them are Lovren from Liverpool, Hector Rackman, Bakayoko and Piazon from Chelsea, Wanyama from Spears, Mustafi and Elneny from Arsenal. I'm just going down last season's table trying to remember which players could possibly go. So apologies if I miss any. Rojo United would love to offload, but it is proving difficult, and Darmian for that matter. Everton have already rejected bids from Schneid- for Schneidlin from Fenerbahce. They do want to offload Martina, Balassi, Morales and Nias. Mendy, Silva, Armati, James and Diabati from Leicester could go. Reed is the most likely out from the Hammers. Hayden wants to leave Newcastle. And Save is also very likely to go. Defoe from Burnley. 
Buffal and Carrillo from Saints. I'm sure there are more, particularly youth players who head off on loan, but those are the most likely movers, apart from Ericsson from Spears, who who wants to leave. He's desperate to leave and wants to move on, but they don't really want to sell him yet. As for turning heads from promoted teams, um, both Norwich fullbacks, Lewis and Aarons, are extremely impressive. Campwell and Buendia from them also have the potential to show well this season. For the Blades, that youngster Phil Jagioka might surprise a few. Seriously though, the right wing-back Boulder looks a real threat down the flanks. Their ex-Everton youngster Lundstrom looks ready to make the step up too. Not sure if their keeper can be counted as he is on loan from Man United, but Henderson usually does well for them. Um, at Villa, I'd be expecting Mings, McGinn and Luis to stand out for them. Maybe Heaton too if he can refine his form, but he has struggled since his long-term injury. Ken from the Manchester United page wants to know if Shappie is paid by the word to post on the Man United page. Even if I won a triple Euro Millions rollover lottery jackpot every year, I couldn't afford to pay Shappie by the word. Poor fella obviously suffers from a similar problem to me and once he gets going on a subject, find it, finds it almost impossible to stop. It can affect your whole life because you find yourself lying awake at 4am thinking of something else you should have mentioned as well. And then your mind goes off on a tangent and you are suddenly debating yourself with yourself the merits of a 4-4-2 over a 4-3-3. MM Key from the Liverpool site asks... Hi, do you know anything about this huge transfer window in Liverpool in 2020? Thanks for the reply and best regards. Uh, 2020? I know it's not till next year, but that is about all. Another Liverpool site question is from Eamon SF. How do you expect Lukaku to do it into Milan? Well, I think he's made a big mistake joining Inter, probably, because they are a mess and a state of constant flux, and that is the big problem. I'm not expecting it to go well for him there due to that, rather than because of his dreadful first touch. AZK, also from the Liverpool site, asks, If aliens were to come tomorrow and the fate of the world rests in winning a football match, who would you pick as your eleven based on the current past few years' forms? Well, if you want a team to win, you want one well-practised and playing together, rather than slapping one together, in my opinion. Putting the best eleven players together would not be as good as picking the best league team and putting them in. So I would want the best league team, team, which is currently Man City, so it would have to be them. Liverpool poster Mad Max asks how I think Graham Potter will get on at Brighton. First off, I'd just like to say I'm disappointed with the sacking of Chris Hewton, who is a victim of ridiculous over-expectation there. However, I am excited to see Potter getting a chance in the Premier League. I think he has the makings of a top-class manager and will do well there, though I do wonder if the club itself will expect too much of him. I can see him moving the club forward gradually and making them an established Premier League top-half team. Dagler will be pleased, as the next question is from the Arsenal site. And Pep, who are you, asks... Hi Ed, love this feature. Nice and easy. Could you please rank top three transfer windows for Premier League clubs and the three worst performances in this window in your opinion? Little description as to why if you have time. SLB. Well, the top three, I would say, are Aston Villa. They're brought to strengthen their weakest areas. The problem is that they have to bed those players in and get them performing quickly. But they have bought well and managed to finally get rid of Micha Richards, which is enough for them to have won the transfer window on its own, to be fair. Um, Man City would have to include as well. They didn't really need much, just a left-back and a replacement for Fernandinho plus a top-class centre-back. Other than the centre-back, they got what they needed and were better players than they had before. Added to that, they got rid of a couple of passengers who were unreliable in Danilo and Delph and brought in someone to push Kyle Walker on the right side, which has been massively lacking. 
The only issue is that lack of replacement for company, but no team ever has a perfect window. Uh, you have to say less than next, as they got nearly £80 million for Harry Maguire, which is a win all on its own. Not too sure about the rest of their business, but no one else really seemed to fix anything like most of their needs. Most left huge gaping gaps in their sides or made little in the way of changes, whereas Leicester were pretty solid squad-wise anyway, and never really damaged theirs in the window. They also looked to improve their team with Prate, or Prate, or Pratt, or whatever it's pronounced. As for the worst... Well, you have to put Chelsea in there. Not really within their control as it was this window, but losing Eden Hazard is a massive blow. The arrival of Pulisic is a big blush, but they have been hamstrung by their transfer ban. Um, Crystal Palace have lost a top-class right-back and not replaced him. That has to put them in there, because that Joel Ward is absolutely useless. They've done nothing to fix their problem scoring goals and weaken their defence. It's going to be a difficult season for them, and I'm really not that bothered by that. In fact, I'm quite pleased because I don't really like the way they play football. Um, I was tempted to say Arsenal next as they've done nothing to fix their problems, just worked on what they already strung in. But Watford's transfers are a complete mess. Their recruitment policy is always a bit odd, but this season seems to have been little short of shambolic. Signing, signing Danny Welbeck is just the most ridiculous decision for a team that constantly struggles to keep players fit. To then sign a player that is always injured is little short of imbecilic. White from the Everton site wants to know where I think Everton will finish in the league. I don't really like doing predictions as I'm extremely superstitious and don't want to bring bad luck. But as it is only Everton, I suppose I can avoid that bad luck if I'm careful with my wording and don't give a definitive prediction. So with Everton, I think it all comes down to Moise Keane. Or is it pronounced Ken? I'm not sure, so I stick with, I'm going to stick with Keane. There is a very real lack of goals in the Everton team other than him, and that is going to be a problem at times, like right now, if he is not scoring. If Keane is kept fit and firing and Everton are a top six side, if he struggles, then it's going to be about finishing in the top half. The uh, the big question marks have to be over Silver though, as he has been the beneficiary of plenty of spending, but doesn't seem to be able to make the most of it. Another Everton question is from BR19-20, but uh, we've just covered this earlier because he asks how many heads are there and which teams are they associated with. So I'll go on to the next one, which is from the Man United site and is from Lee12, who wants my opinion on Rashford. Well, I really like Rashford, personally. He works hard for the team, has good movement, excellent striking technique, skill, blistering pace, but just needs to develop experience and composure at vital moments. Now he is working in tandem with Marshall, instead of constantly being shunted all around the pitch to fill a gap, he can develop a proper understanding. That is what has been badly missing for him, someone who he can work with who knows his game and can deliver the ball to him in the right areas. Coco comes... Coco Carter from the Liverpool site is obviously trying to give my mother ideas of what to do with all my old baby photos, as he asks. Might be an odd question, but it'd be nice to put a face to a name. Are there any photos of you online? Um, Fortunately for you all, as I've been hit with a case of irresistibility, I doubt there are many, if any, photos of me online, unless friends or family are picking me up on their social media, which I have no idea about as I don't use any of them. Um, I know Ed Treble Six has a, so, took a selfie of us both when he visited, as he has it framed next to his bed in a heart-shaped frame, so you could ask him. He did have it made into a giant poster on the ceiling above the bed, but his wife made him take it down as she said being able to see him while she was having sex was off-putting. Also from the Liverpool site is Rookie. His question is, alright, if you had to make a 5 or side team from our current squad, who would make the team? 
Um, Bobby Firmino, Ginny Wijnaldum, Virgil van Dijk, Alisson and James Milner. Wimborne Wolf from the Wolverhampton Wanderers site asks, Hi, can you tell me if the academy play at the Mall or elsewhere when at home? Same with away games, thanks. Well, I'm going to assume you mean the under-23s rather than all the youth teams. If so, they do occasionally play at Molyneux, but usually play at Telford United ground, which I forgot what it's called. Well, they don't play away games at home, that's for sure. Somebody called Ed004 has asked a question now. Do you see Greenwood, Brewster, Hudson, Foden and Parrott making a difference this season or becoming a regular for their club? Each of the top sides seems to have a brilliant player coming or two coming through. And that's without mentioning players such as Aarons, Rice and Longstaff, etc. I think all of those players will get the chance to make a difference, but I don't see any of them becoming a regular this season. It's a season too soon at least. Greenwood might have done so if James had not arrived, but that has meant he will mainly be a bench player. Uh, Brewster is just not going to dislodge Salah, Mane or Firmino just yet. Hudson Adoy is the one with the most chance, but Mount's performances have been excellent, so we'll probably have to wait a season to get him regularly. Um, Foden has far too much quality ahead of him in the pecking order, but David Silva leaves at the end of the season, so next season should be his chance. And Parrott will be looking on now that Celso has arrived. Though if Eriksson does leave as expected and as he wants to, that gives him the chance to get on the bench regularly. Positive Celtic from, well, I'm sure you don't need telling which site he posts on, asks, should James Forrest be our number seven? I'm not sure what it matters what number a player wears these days with squad numbers. Not sure it ever really mattered, to be honest, so why not? Stone from the Liverpool site wants to know, how did I, how did you find Ed 2? Have you two actually met? I look forward to reading this post. His insight is extremely beneficial to the site, in my opinion. Well, I never actually found him as such. He was posting on the site and his knowledge of the financial and business side of the game was far in excess of my own. And we got talking after he was right about a few things I was wrong about. I was the only editor then, but the sites were busy enough that I was in need of help, so I asked him if he would be interested. His insight is top class. As for actually meeting, uh, no, we've been in the same small town as each other within moments of each other, but never actually met. Not yet, anyway. Though I did make a pilgrimage to the cafe he used and fitted a plaque to the seat he sat in in that cafe for future use, you know, for the future benefit of all users of that cafe. I think the owner thought I was some kind of nutcase, though. Thinking about it, she's probably right. True Red Devil from the Man United site asks, Hello Ed1, what is your opinion about United's current back five with De Gea, Shaw, Lindelof, Maguire and AWB? We have Delo as backup in full-back positions. Bay and Twanza Bay as centre-back options. Isn't this a significant improvement over the last season? Moreover, with the new signings, including Dan James, are United moving in the right direction in terms of recruitment? Well, it is certainly an improvement on last season down the right flank, but the left flank is still highly suspect. You now have two players who sleepwalk through games and struggle to read danger and have woeful positioning together on that side and it is going to cost goals. Neither are good defenders, both have a tendency to wander off just when you need them to stay put and neither have good awareness. Neither look like learning either. Um, Maguire does add aerial ability for set pieces at least. It's still not what I would consider the optimum and it seems to have cost a lot of money for little real progress. On the plus side, Wan-Bissaka is excellent and will be a major bonus over the course of the next few years. James is more of a work in progress, but should make a real difference to the team in future. 
as for moving in the right direction, well, that's a tough one to answer. To a degree, I would say yes. They've identified the weak areas and attempted to fix them. However, you have to question the ridiculous lengths they went to in order to sign Maguire. I'm sure they could have gone to any knacker's yard and signed a car horse for much less and no one would have been able to tell the difference. Surely it would have made more sense to just ask Garby out to name their price for one of their two young centre-backs. Both are much better players than Maguire. If you're going to just throw silly money around, at least go and buy the best with it rather than settling for someone just because he is English. A British core only makes sense if the British players are good enough. Now one from Stoner on the Arsenal site. Question from Mrs S. What are your thoughts on female referees in general and because there is one in the game, Liverpool vs Chelsea on Wednesday? Well, that shows how far I've fallen behind on the questions, so apologies all, I'll try and speed up the process. But to be honest, I just think in regards to sports in general, not just officials, but competitors too, I'll put them in as one. Everyone. Then no one cares if someone is transgender, female or male, or whatever other categories may arise. Everyone plays the same sport and the same competition as part of the same teams. If it turns out women are not good enough, strong enough, fast enough or whatever as people keep saying, then they will either improve by competing at a higher level or they will just not make it into the top echelons of the sport. Either way, just get rid of the categories, let everyone compete on an even playing field with the same rules. Same goes for officials. I don't care who or what they are as long as they do the job well. And then we'll end with a question from Mianwecha Bazza, Barry and Laut, and I do mean old in the literal sense, off the Liverpool site. Hi one, a very serious question here. Prior to putting on a limp latex gimp suit, is it best to apply Vaseline or talcum powder? Ed25 says, speaking from experience, that talc is best, but Ed33 says, says Vaseline. What do you say? Well, if it's you putting it on, it's really very simple. What you need is a layer of super glue. That will do the trick. So that's it for another Ask the Ed podcast. Thanks for the questions and please keep them coming in and I'll try and get through them much quicker in future. Goodbye.